Hi, this is Megan Davis, and you're listening to Stories Create Me, a podcast that explores the stories that we tell that make up our present day and eventually are going to influence our future. Each month, I explore a topic with a special guest. The topic varies, but the sentiment is always the same. The stories we tell become our future. And so, won't you join us as this narrative unfolds? This journey I'm on with this podcast, exploring the stories that make up our lives, that are making up our future, that are building our multiple possible futures that we're moving into. There's a lot of themes that keep coming up. And as a narrative strategist, the thing that I do is I find these themes and I find the connection points. So in today's podcast, something that recurringly comes up and has come up during my conversation with Charbel Zeter is this topic of how do we ask better questions and how that relates to creativity and how that relates to building the skill sets that we will need for our future. Creativity is key. It's one of the top skill sets that people are looking for as we move into a future where decision-making and process and comparing data and finding data is increasingly going to be done by artificial intelligence. We don't need to worry about that anymore. But what we do need to worry about is uncovering the best questions to ask to get to the best results for the things that are going to happen that we could never imagine at this point in time. So this theme of asking better questions for me, relates to harnessing the power of your creativity. And there's this very, very misunderstood component of creativity. And this is a current theme in the narrative that goes on in our society, that creativity is something that you're just born with. And you either have it or you don't. That could not be further from the truth. The truth is, is that human beings are born creative and we die creative And we spend our days creatively solving problems anyways, because things pop up, new things happen, we experience something that was unexpected, and all the lights start firing and we become creative problem solvers. We are intrinsically creative. Creative doesn't mean I sit down and I paint something that looks like Mona Lisa. Creativity means I look at problems from all angles, I look at things from a new perspective, I sit down and I create something in response to that, to my environment. That is essentially what artists do. They create something in response to what they see going on around them. We are all artists. We are all constructing realities. We are all creating new spaces, new ways of thinking. And what we do in that space is exciting and we need to just keep it going. So this conversation with Charbel at Academy XI goes into this in great detail and I'm excited to explore this topic with you today. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thanks again for 
many years later, yeah. um, set, set this all up. Yeah. So, hey everyone, I'm Charvel, co-founder of Academy XI. So we've been around for two years and what Academy XI is, is a school teaching digital skills in, or particularly skills in emerging tech and design fields. We've been around for just over two years, based in Sydney originally, uh, we have two spaces there, soon one, and then we've set up in Melbourne, we've been just for just over a year. And our, our focus is on teaching people these emerging skills in UX, uh, user experience design, service design, product management, growth marketing, virtual reality, augmented reality. We've just released that blockchain course. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, which is amazing. And yeah. And we to release yeah. a new one coming up soon. So for us, like, we're looking at where, where the problems are in the industry, which is all around having available talent. Um, and also within organisations where there's a need for capability building. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we, we hear about digital transformation and yeah. what that actually is. And um, the reality is, is that uh, given all this emerging technology you know, with immersive experiences as well as what blockchain is about to do, as well as the things that we're used to in mm. terms of designing websites, apps, anything to do with technology, there's a chronic shortage around the world and it's getting worse. And so as these new technologies emerge yeah. and as companies realise that they've got to respond and adapt and start to move a lot more quickly, we're finding that there's a demand for people to join companies but there's also not enough of them so companies have to read to train or retrain themselves to start thinking about what digital really truly means for them. Wow. Future. Yeah. What a great opportunity. It's massive, yeah. 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 So, and, you know, it's huge, it's scary. I mean, that's, <laughs> we keep talking about the fact that I live in this permanent state of excitement and terror. <laughs> because it's like there's so much to do. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the world, like, you know, looking at what, what we have to solve in, yeah. in the world's problems, whether they're commercial problems or social problems, there's so much to do and not enough people to solve them. So. Do you feel it's increasingly the case that the difference between a business problem and a social problem and a people problem is, is becoming like almost non-existent? That, you know, the future that we're going into isn't one where we're all um, <laughs> these siloed people. Yeah. Because we will have robots to be siloed robots that can do things, right? Absolutely. And, and we, our job is then to become all these really hyper-creative super people, right? Absolutely. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole thing. Like, you know, when you look at the World Economic Forum, they released a report, and I think it was 2017, and they looked at the skills of the future. And it was interesting. They didn't specify particular hard skills or technical skills, things that we're used to. Mm. One of the big ones they're looking at is, well, actually, the three that really stand out for me, and this is really representative of where the world is going anyway, yeah. is problem-solving skills, collaboration, and creativity. Right. So all that sort of stuff, when you look at that, that's a really zoomed-out view and quite a, quite a fluffy, nebulous view of what skills look like. Um, and then when we look at what the emerging fields are in design and tech, these are truly the things that fit into this thing about problem-solving, collaboration, and creativity, you know, technologists yeah. do it, designers do it, and design in itself is broadened in, in terms of what people understand design to be. Correct. So, yeah. yeah, it's come a long way since like 50s. Absolutely, and, yeah. and when you look at it, I can't remember the name, there's the biggest, one of the biggest investment groups in the world, and it's going to come to me in a second, mm. but their CEO a few months ago explicitly stated that they're only going to invest in companies that have a social purpose behind oh. them as well. Oh. So this is where, you know, back to your point, mm. this is like we're not separate anymore. So yes, robots can do all the, the technical things. Good, I don't want to do the boring things. No, um, I don't want to clean my toilet anymore. No. Why am I still doing no, that? I, know, I barely 
use my apartment. I've got a clinic every two weeks. Every two weeks to do that stuff for me. Yeah. I, I hate that stuff. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's like it's, and somebody wants to do it, great. Like, you know, Perfect. Pay, pay, pay you for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but it's interesting that even massive venture capitalists are now paying attention to the fact that companies have to consider the impact that they're having around them. Mm-hmm. And that, that's essential for us as well, because that's, you know, for us, like we, mm-hmm. we believe that we're doing good as well as, you know, we want everybody to do well, obviously, but do well and do good at the same time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's really important. So one of the skills of the future, would you say that the ability to communicate effectively and to tell stories well is mm-hmm. really important to bring new concepts new products, new services into the world. Yeah, absolutely. Everything, when you think about it, pretty much everything is a story. Even the traditional way of creating products, getting into supermarket shelves or into mm. department stores, advertising agencies come in, they create a campaign, they broadcast it to the world, all that storytelling. So yep. every part of the process is just, it has a story. When you look at business and how you know, traditional businesses say they're developing physical products. So like, look at a kettle, for example. So there's a problem that has to be solved, but we need to boil water. It used to be a stovetop thing. So we have electricity, let's look at a new way of boiling water. So a problem was identified, a story was told, and somebody took a punt on it, and then the story was told even further, but how do we actually create this new product that boils water? You know, something as simple as that. That involved the story, so a designer had to then communicate back to the stakeholder group that this is what this thing, and we're going to call it kettle, is going to do to boil the water. They need to boil the water, yeah. first, you know. And then when you think, okay, so somebody's got to take that to a department store or, or a variety store and put that out there and say, this is the thing that will boil water now. And it's like, we don't want that. That's not never going to work. You know, all that sort <laughs> we of... have one we just put on the stove. I yeah, don't totally. understand why do I need so this one. No one's going to buy that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so over time, when you start to think about it, it's not as simple as like having a product and then putting it on the shelf and hoping somebody buys it. Everything has a story around it. Even the way supermarkets are designed, there's stories like there's you know, aisles. Every aisle has a, a particular category of product in it. Mm-hmm. There's a story already. Yeah. Being told just by the physical physical space. Yeah. So you know, and then, then it goes up to more sort of intricate storytelling. So you know, books, magazines, movies, advertisements, little clips like this. There's, mm. you know, there's a story thread through. That's right. Yeah. A narrative. A narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So when we were talking just before, you were talking about how um, your, you know, your processes, so like behind how you do what you do, involves a lot of a lot of story creation. Yeah. Could you go into that a little bit deeper? Yeah, yeah. It was it was an interesting example. Just last week, we finished a, a one week course off here in service design and one of the students was brilliant, it was a really good course. Mm. And the by the end of the five days, everyone was on a buzz, like they loved it, they got it, they really, really enjoyed the result of what they got. Yeah. And one of the bits of feedback was, I wish we knew what was going to happen early in the course. And my, my response to that was like, I understand that feeling, but what we do and what's really important for people to understand is that we need to hold this space of tension, creative tension, yeah. um, which is what I call it. So we start them off, we introduce them, we, we frame what the, the discipline is and where it applies in the real world, but we take them on the journey to solve the problem through this. So, so the problem is identified, which usually comes in the form of a client brief, and that's the, the real world. Mm-hmm. So we use the process of learning a particular discipline, in this case it was service design, we step them through the process of delivering an end result, but in the middle part of the process is tension. So there's frustration, there's doubt, can I do this? It's not really 
clear, there's all this fuzzy problem space, it's, it's all it's quite fluffy, it seems, yeah. but as, as we go through the process, clarity starts to emerge. And my response to, to this person was that the, the two things had to happen. One was that you have to experience a creative tension because if you race to the end, and this is how we're trained at school, right, mm -hmm. is that we're, we're trained to, we get bombarded with information, we sit a test, and then we have to come up with the answer straight away in a two-hour time frame. Yes. So we're used to that. So what we have to do in the design process is break that mindset apart mm -hmm. and shift it into, okay, we could solve this in so many ways, but by having this space of tension, if we race to the end, we miss all these little opportunities that don't seem like they're opportunities until you look back at it. So the whole retrospective of it. Right. So that's one part of it. And the other part of it was to say, well, at one point you're going to go out into the industry and you're going to become a practitioner. So you're going to have clients who are sitting there through this process and they're going to want the answer as well. So you have to be confident enough to hold their tension and hold their space. Mm -hmm. It's just like in a movie, right? So there's yeah. tension, there's always degrees of tension in a yes. movie. Yes. And until you get to the result, and when they get to that result, once they've been through the process and seen that there is diligence involved in a process, once you get to that process and you get to the end of it, then they can step back and do their retrospective and say, aha, uh -huh, this is what we have to do. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. they get a much better result because they've been through tension, they've been through their own pain. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and when you experience tension, um, and we avoid it because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like you feel it, you're like, oh yeah. no. So, so, yeah, we don't want to do it. <laughs> we don't, we yeah. don't want to do it. Yeah. So we're, so, we're kind of like, Where's my coffee? Where's uh, my coffee? Give me my sugar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to pull back, yeah. but we all get sucked into tension because there's no way to live. There's no life that does not experience yeah. exactly. this. Exactly. So then using that as a good tool to build into a learning process or a research process or any kind of problem-solving process, being able to embrace that yeah. and saying, this is actually a really good way forward, is going to put you quite far ahead of the pack of the people who are too just too uncomfortable with it. Absolutely. And, and yeah. my, my whole thing, like I've told people this a number of times, is that doubt or tension because like the, the reason why tension happens is because we start either doubting that process mm. or doubting ourselves. So doubt, when you recognize what it's all about, is actually becomes one of your best tools because you start asking better questions. Yes. And so that, that's the most important part of this race is because we don't know. So rather than racing to the end, it's like all of a sudden, okay, like I have to go through this process. What questions can I answer? And as you develop, any skills you start to become more expert at, right. at asking the correct questions yes. to get to the result. Yes. So, so doubt is still something I live with. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been, I'm not a practitioner as such anymore, but it's something that I remember every time I would start a project for a client, I would always go through this process. It's like, oh my God, I can't do this. Like, who, who the hell do you think I am? I'm not going to be able to do this. No, God, yeah. Every answer has been already given. Yeah. There's no, nothing crazy in the world anymore. There's nothing new, which is a lot of rubbish. Yeah. But it's an important process to go through as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of storytelling, so stories are built on resolving tension, yeah. right? So a narrative arc, if we think of the arc, it starts out and it's kind of flat because you're getting to know everyone and it's setting the scene. Where are we? What are we doing? Who are the people that we're doing this? whatever it is with, and then the tension starts building, and then it comes to like this point of like, ah, will it work, will it not work, and then it all kind of resolves and it goes downhill, yeah. and then eventually that tension starts building again, right? Narrative arcs just keep doing this. Yeah. And if you don't have that, there's no problem to be solved. And it's, I can't remember who said it, but there was a famous director who said, all movies are about it and getting it. Right, yeah. oh, I love that. It's very it's awesome. simple, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
And so when you're going through a problem solving process, like having, having the ability to define it as a narrative almost, to encapsulate it as this process of solving, but also understanding and moving into a new chapter or being able to draw connections back to where you started, to where you are now, to where you're going. So it has this feeling of momentum. Because when you aren't able to categorize or organize your thoughts in a, in a concise manner, and, and we're narrative-focused animals, like we just made meaning that way with creating stories and narratives. But having the ability to chapterize it or identify in how you're moving forward is very empowering because then at every point you can say, okay, so we're here now. And the next question is, and then what happened? Yep. That's Neil Gaiman. That's yes. the most magic phrase in storytelling. It's Neil Gaiman says, and then what happened? Because then you yeah. know you have the audience on board, yeah. but you also know you have the team on board, you know the project's on board, because you're constantly asking, how are we moving this story forward, this yeah. narrative forward, this problem-solving quest? Yeah. If you're like adventurers on a quest of solving a problem. Absolutely. And it, is, it does become a request, and it's really interesting the way you just described it, because we do a lot of group or team training, corporate training, mm. and we have one client who's brilliant. They went through a month-long program with us, and we asked if we could come back, uh, fly back up to where they were at, and assess the program itself, interview the people, and give them recommendations on how to start embedding these processes into the organisation. Yeah. So I went up there and spent a whole day with them, interviewed everyone who had been through the training, some people who were working with the people who had gone through the training. And a lot of fears came out around, you know, can we embed this? Is this really for us? Like, how do we do it? It's great. I love it. It doesn't seem to be much organizational buy-in. And so the director asked me at about halfway point during the day, he said, give me, give me to me, how's it all going? I said, great. Like, people love, loved what was going on. Oh. And he goes, how are we going to do it? And I said, you have to change your whole space. Because everyone was in cubicles. Mm. No one got to face each other. They had walls between them. All the wall space itself had either a desk on it or filing cabinets. So uh, they couldn't actually use their physical space. And yeah. that's one of those things yeah. around, you know, what happened next yeah. is when you have the correct space, I said to me, you've got to get rid of these barricades between each desk, make them face each other, and use that wall space as your project room. So mm -hmm. you're building a story. And that's one of the important things. Like when, when I see a lot of agencies and teams who do these processes properly, mm -hmm. it's all about visibility. So they're building the story. So everything from here's the problem space yeah. that we've identified. Here's some research that we've done. Here's some ideation around it. Here's mm. some. So you're actually building the story yeah. in the physical space. Yeah. So what happened next is is happening, and so what happens as a result of that is that more and more people start to become curious, and they start yeah. to ask more questions. So people who you're not even working with directly start to ask more questions. So they're starting to get more interested in in the process and this build of yes. the story yeah. until the conclusion. Yeah. Right. And then the conclusion means that you've got more words. So, <laughs> right. so, yeah. yeah, and that's the difference between a story and a narrative. Yeah. So a story, if you think about a TV show, yeah. a story is an episode. Yeah. But the narrative is the entire show. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the narrative yeah. never ends. Like the no. narrative shifts. Yeah. And that's the best true of every organization. Yeah. The organization they have to shift and adapt yeah. to contexts. Yes. To to new contexts, new technology, new expectations. And so this narrative will will evolve. And the stories change rapidly mm. in amongst it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other thing that we try and communicate is that there is no end as such. <laughs> like no. There's a whole lot of results, yes. a lot of deliverables, a lot of things that you put out into the world. Yeah. And you have to keep an eye on it all the time because there's always another competitor yes. for that to come up. And, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. 
And so one of the things that I do with um, like groups or projects or you know, even organizations is I create strategies for narratives so that when you're, and this is organic, so this is what's really happening. It's yeah. not a marketing strategy where you go, we're this type of person, and then you just go home and say <laughs> to the world, I'm this, I'm this, right? It's actually, this is what's really happening. This is on the ground reality. And all of these people are coming together, co-creating. So narratives are always co-created, yeah. right? Like we think about writers being this lonely person in a room typing on a, you know, romantically on a typewriter or something. <laughs> with a little white hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with their glasses far down on, you know. But the reality is that the writer has first readers, they have inspiration, they have people that they bounce ideas off of, they have got editors, they've got book designers, they've got publishers, they've got publicists, they've got, you know, there's a whole team of people that bring their book into the world. You write any acknowledgement section, it's like five pages long in a book, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So these are all yeah. the people that bring this book into the world. And this is the same, but the narrative is that all these people come together to make this narrative work Absolutely. and meaningful, and they give it meaning. And so, you know, being able to track that and then project into the future of where is this narrative going helps keep that value alignment and that momentum so that they're always asking, and then what happens? Because once that becomes a question that you don't ask, yeah. well, if it's a TV show, it gets canceled. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, isn't that funny? That's so true. Yeah, yeah you can't answer question. that question anymore. Yeah. The show's Can over. I that? Can I steal that? Oh, please do. Yeah, just, awesome. yeah, just be like... <laughs> I'm trademark as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, just be like... Oh, that says she's coming on video, I can't. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the other thing, evidence, yeah. so just, mm. yeah. You need evidence of the work as well. That's the whole. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then narrativizing. I think that's a word. Narrativizing. It is now. I just made that and up. I, and it works. It works. I understand what you yeah. mean. Yeah. 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 I mean, Shakespeare made up a lot of words. Yeah, so totally. Why can't I do it? You know? So, yeah, like being able to contextualize and, and narrativize and, yeah. and project and collate and correlate and make meaning, yeah. it puts you so much farther ahead absolutely yeah 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 because and that's the whole thing with with pretty much any sort of process whether it's a, a business re-engineering process a product design process a service design process it's, you have to have the evidence of what you've done and it has to be visible and referable that's the whole thing about documenting i tell the students all the time mm. take photos of everything that you've done yeah because it's going to become valuable when you yes. portfolio you've got to show it what you know, that you've actually done the work mm. as well. And it's a really good thing for you to remind yourself of how much you've actually done. Yeah. yeah. So I might break this thread a little bit sure. and yeah, dive into, because I'm always really fascinated with emerging technologies mm. like AR, VR. Yeah. And what I think is really interesting is how these technologies are starting to influence the way that we're communicating. Yeah. And because we're right at that ground floor of it being a very accessible, very quickly becoming an accessible space, mm. and this isn't, this isn't going to slow down. But so recently I learned that Facebook has got some contextual AR elements. So if you're next to or near a, a poster for the movie Ready Player One, which is coming out soon, you contextually can access the filters in the app on your phone yeah. and you point it at the poster and then it takes you into this virtual reality world within the poster so yeah. that certain aspects open up and come to life. Yeah. And so I thought that was really clever storytelling yeah. because you're extending the experience that you'll have in the theater beyond the theater and, and beyond the trailers which is normally where you get 
first access to visuals. Yes. So you might see a, a commercial or you might see a trailer. Yep. But now you don't even have to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're just walking by a poster. It could be on the street. Yep. And all of a sudden Facebook's like, hey, yeah. let's go let's go on a journey. It's crazy, right? Yeah. So, and and this is the interesting thing because you know we talk we often think about what disruption means and often we look at disruption being a David and Goliath type battle. So so you know, and it's not necessarily always that way because all of a sudden when you look at what that means at a commercial level, so A there's a great experiential level and we saw this happening with Pokemon Go. Mm -hmm. As soon as that app came out, everyone just went, no, not everyone. People a lot of people. Yeah. I ended the relationship to it. No, that's, that's an <laughs> but it was kind of a trigger, one of them, because it was like, oh, um, but the thing is that what, what it indicated was there were a few things that happened there was one was the technology could do it the portability which was all that context mm. allowed for a new experience to emerge mm. um, the, the network speed enabled it to happen mm. in, a, in an efficient way and the biggest thing was that the public appetite was there mm. like it just like went nuts mm. to become multi-million dollar property for, for Nintendo mm. as a result of this so that, that, that showed a whole lot of things that where like once we have enough content, uh, enough good stories around augmented reality, it's not just about shopping and putting a couch in the corner to see if it's going to fit. How exciting is that? So it's fun. Okay, yeah. that, that's a practical application. Yeah. That's not the only application. So storytelling is the big thing in this. And so what, what then happens then when you talk about an example like Ready Player One is the, the challenge isn't just like Facebook is challenging something that's really interesting, which is YouTube. <laughs> okay, so mm. YouTube makes a lot of money from getting people in. The trailers are huge for YouTube. Mm. Yeah, you've seen, you've just looked at the numbers of more popular movies. Yeah. You look at how many views have happened. All of a sudden, the competition isn't a David and Goliath competition at all. So it's like, this is, unless Google does something really quick smart, Facebook's going to dominate. 1.4 billion people using yeah. the product, and the majority of them having a mobile app. Like, I'm talking the majority. This uh, opens up a really new model, like really new yeah. uh, model, and it's going to get fierce, which is really cool. Yeah. Because like, you know, ferocity is great because it makes everything more interesting. Yeah, right? well, it's that so, tension. So, yeah, totally. Tension. So we, we create new tension, and yeah. that's great, new business tension now. Mm. And then it becomes a competition. Like, Apple has been really slow, but they will, they will release something mm. soon. I mean, it's in the paper office. So when we start to see Facebook, Apple, Google, or I mean, Apple doesn't, doesn't really matter so much, but the, the Google and Facebook, they're competing for advertising dollars. Yes. So, yes. and yeah, we know where that's going to go. And the same reason why, <laughs> yeah. um, why Facebook put all that money into Oculus as well. Yeah. So it wasn't just to create all these amazing immersive experiences, so they could actually now, with this, record exactly where a person looks. So when it comes to ads, mm. it's about ad placement, right? Right. So yeah. it's like how do we how do we get people time through there? Because that, that experience in itself is storytelling. So it's yes. a directed a directed story. Yeah. Whereas like you know we could say they sit in the cinema or watch a clip on YouTube. Yeah. And it's, it's very very intuitive. So we're sitting there just watching it, receiving it as it's intended for us to receive. Yeah. As soon as we create these different experiences, so we've got all these different story opportunities to go into this, so there's a poster. Mm. I mean, that, that's one one application of it. And when you think about what VR looks like, we're in a completely immersive environment. Mm. To a degree, I have some control of where I want the story to go. Right. Know? And then that becomes an interesting thing from a design perspective and an interaction design perspective, mm. because how do we then navigate people through a story? And if there's multiple options or multiple paths for them to explore from the core, mm. and how do we do it? So we've got sound, we've got light, 
you know, we, we could get a whole lot of ways in which we could direct people into a, into a particular story. Yeah. Yeah. And tr- yeah. So the queuing. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah. there's no director no, totally. calling cuts. So, yeah, so we, we, I mean, yes, it's still kind of designed for us yeah. to experience, but, yeah. but there's more options for us to, you know, for, for a great director mm. to make the options really fast. Mm. Not too fast, but fast yeah. enough to, to make it truly engaging and get that thing that everyone wants, which is called traction and talent and keep them in this, in <laughs> yeah. this experience. Immersed. And put, put more ads in front of you by now. Yeah. <laughs> What I think is really interesting in this conversation around like VR, for example, so, you know, there's a lot of conversation around how do people who are typically working in film or, you know, these very constructed realities move into this space and talking about all the possibilities and the person can look and move off here and we can't control it. But what I think is really interesting is that this talk around context so when you give someone context of who they are in a world and what they should be doing, because we construct, like we're, we're, we're protagonists in a movie in our own heads yeah, most of the time, yeah, yeah. right? Like we're the star of our own yeah. little film. So then we're just going into another space where we're just the star of the own little film. Yeah. But why do I do what I do all day? Like I could do a number of things, right? Yeah. But mostly I do what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. So if you provide context to the story, so if I'm a knight and I'm supposed to slay a dragon and you tell me that, I'm probably just gonna do that. Yeah. I'm gonna be like, oh, cool, I'm a knight. I'm gonna do all these knight things. Like I'm not <laughs> gonna try to become the witch or yeah. be yeah. the sorcerer, you know? You're gonna be the thing that you decided. Mm-hmm. So I think that in the future with storytelling and these types of technologies, the identity that you create for the character that you're supposed to be yeah. is gonna be really important. Yeah. And I, I see a lot of new jobs coming up in character creation, like yeah. providing a character for someone to step into. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not you, it's actually a character that you're inhabiting. Absolutely, and, this is what, and that's the thing that is, like when you look at VR, that, that's an interesting application when we're already seeing a whole lot of social VR happening. And you know, it's, it's been around for a couple of years now and it hasn't really progressed in an incredible way yet for a whole lot of reasons. But the interesting thing is around the character adoption and all of a sudden being safe to be somebody who you're not really, which is not necessarily safe for people around you, yeah. but, it's, um, <laughs> but it's, you know, depending on how creepy you can get, because it can. Yeah. But it, it's an interesting thing around morphing your personality into something that you want to be. Yeah. But there's a whole lot of fantasy stuff that goes on with that. There's, mm. there's, an author, there's a book I read you know, as a kid to prepare a face to meet the faces that you meet. Who is it? One comes to me. It's been a long time. Okay. So, oh, so yeah, that, 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 that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. Now. It's, it's not. Is it TSL yet? Was it TSL yet? No. Maybe it was. It was. It was TSL. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not. <laughs> I'm not going to commit to that on camera. Okay. That's what I got wrong. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. but it's an interesting thing when you yeah. think about it. You know, to yeah. To prepare a face to meet the faces that you meet. Because we're all just adapting and adopting yes. characteristics yeah. to, to fit in. Yeah. And that's going to be no different in the, in the VR world. No. Right? But, no. but I'm adopting a new character to do so. Yes. Yeah. 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 So all of a sudden, I'm going to be a six foot eight muscle giant <laughs> <laughs> with long flowing hair. Yeah. Hair. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, you're not going to go into like Pony World and no. be like, <laughs> I don't know, it's like a boulder shaped giant or something, right? Like yeah. you're going to pick the context that makes sense with. Totally. what you want to be yeah yeah just yeah, like you do well yeah <laughs> i figured it out yeah. <laughs> it's been a great conversation thank you <laughs>
Yeah, so I think we're probably getting to the point where I've got a lot of content. So I think we're at the stage where it's like that that wrap up and it's like, and I normally ask if you could tell one story that explains why you do what you do, do you have one? Mm, yeah, for me, the, the reason why I've uh, chosen this uh, sort of story arc in my name, my personal narrative, is the first time I remember teaching, I hit a crossroad in my life about five years ago where I was going to give up my career yeah, in UX. Yeah. And I taught a course in UX because that was going to be my hand off to the world and so I'd go and explore my next career. Yeah. And the thing that happened to me is that after about three weeks into this teaching, I started to see people change and come to life and start to realise something new about themselves that they didn't know before. And in that process, I started to see something new about myself. Uh, oh. my, and it sounds really fluffy, but I, I realised my personal journey was in education. My, okay. I actually found myself at a point where I was lost yes. in, in, in my career. Yes. I kind of, I'd done all that, and it wasn't that I hated my career, I loved it, but I just felt like I'd hit my own limit with it. And teaching for me opened up um, a new aspect of myself that I didn't see. And that was because of my students. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they taught me something about myself. Yeah. And, and I saw them change as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. some, That's the same. He's a great philosopher to teach us to learn twice. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 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 The, it's the one, at a, it's, it's a pedagogy, but it's called that because of him. So oh, okay. It's yeah. a pedagogue or yeah. I don't know what the real name is. Yeah. To teach you to learn twice. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a great yeah. philosopher who said that. But, yeah, so every time you teach, you actually, yeah. you're learning as well. Absolutely. And, you yeah. know, and, and, and I've taught a number of courses now, and I don't anymore, but it's, but like every single time, there's mm. a new, new thing that emerges for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening, and thank you to my guests on this episode. If you found this episode interesting, please share it with your friends and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. I look forward to continuing the conversation on the stories that are shaping our future next month on Stories Create Me.